Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We're your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And this week, we are bringing you some fun stories about occult beliefs and practices during various times of war throughout history. Yeah, that's definitely what my research is about. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is. It is. It's just, um, hmm. It's interesting. And you, you might really enjoy this when I start getting into it. I'm excited. Uh, so today, uh, much like last week, because spoiler alert, we are recording these episodes back to back. <laughs> we are drinking more Synergos decaf coffee, this time with no creamer, like the mad women we are. Oh gosh, we are just living on the edge. Oh yeah. But, uh, decaf is a little necessary at 3 p.m. when you are over 30. It's Uh, really rude. I hate it. Something to look forward to for anyone listening who is younger. (laughs) It's like I told my cousin, you know, enjoy your 20s. You're you're young. You can go out and drink. Suddenly you're 30. Your hangovers last multiple days and you have a favorite spatula. Look, (laughs) a woman's spatula preference is very personal. My husband tried to make me call my spatula collection. I'm sorry. (laughs) He said we have too many on our... It's like, no. Did he not want to make it to the one year anniversary? It was after the one year anniversary, so he can't take me back. I I burned the receipt. I mean, don't burn your marriage license. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, Corinne. Yes? What is our tarot card for this week's episode? We are, because I I bounce around between my decks of cards, back to the Wild Unknown Tarot deck. And today, I pulled the Four of Swords. Um, This is another card about that inner stillness and inner reflection. And this is very much a call to take time to breathe, to meditate. Um, Don't go herring off. Find the peace in that stillness, which is not something I'm good at. Did you know? I, that card does know that this is a podcast about coffee drinking. (laughs) We are drinking decaf. That's true. It knew. It knew. That little lamb is judging me. It's such a cute little lamb, though, with his little... Third eye. Yeah, the the bright third. I also really like these swords. Because it was a swords card. And they're pretty. I want a sword. Someone buy me a sword. Don't buy Corinna sword, please. <laughs> okay. All right. So my segment today focuses on the American Civil War. Okay. So I'm going to begin the section a bit prior to the Civil War, just to give some context okay. to how spiritualism and the occult made itself. Okay. Nope. Lost the word. English is gone. Um. So... The first known seances in the White House. (laughs) (laughs) I love that sentence. Took place during Franklin Pierce's administration, organized by First Lady Jane Pierce. Good for her. And no, it is super depressing. Aw, I forgot Franklin Pierce was a president. I did too. Sorry. It's fine. So... Just prior to President Pierce's inauguration, 
the Pierce family was involved in a train accident that oh. caused the death of their eldest son, Benny. Oh. His skull was smashed in oh. by wood and metal beams. And oh. Jane Pierce saw him. Oh, no. Oh, that's a lot of trauma. Yes. And it makes sense that in the light of that sort of trauma, the First Lady would want to reach out. And they didn't have our modern sensibilities surrounding mental health care. Nope. So therapy wasn't on the radar for her. So her first attempts to contact Benny involved writing numerous letters to him asking him to come back so that she could explain her failures as a mother and ask his forgiveness. Oh, that hurts my whole heart. So healthy. Oh, that poor woman. Um, so when writing letters to someone whose forwarding addresses the pearly gates didn't work, <laughs> she brought in the Fox sisters. Okay. Who were, even if you don't recognize the name, I bet you're going to recognize when I talk about them. Okay. They were the really famous spiritualist duo who went around the States and I believe toured in England a little bit. Okay. Um, I'm not as familiar with this because most of my knowledge of the spiritualist movement begins more in the early 20th century. Gotcha. So. Um, but Jane Pierce invited the Fox sisters to the Red Room at the White House to conduct seances to get in touch with Benny's spirit. Oh. And if anyone listening is familiar with the Fox sisters, you know that they were absolute charlatans. Great. Who admitted later in life that they faked all of their positive results via their wrapping method. They were the ones who invented oh, the... okay. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. I knew that you would have heard Thank of Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I gotcha. So they were just taking advantage of this grieving oh. mother to raise their status because the first lady... Oh, for sure. ...invited them to the White House. Yeah. Um, I've been to the White House. It's not that great. And that's just distasteful. Yes. But after the Pierce administration, we have Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And Mary Todd Lincoln, much like her predecessor, Jane Pierce, suffered the loss of a child prior to taking up residence in the White House. She also lost her son to typhus while in the White House and dealt with backlash from the general public while she grieved. Jeez, people suck. Well, I sort of see where some people were coming from because grief does terrible things to you. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of mothers in the country were like, at least you got to be there to say goodbye. Yeah. Um, Because the Civil War had an estimated death toll somewhere north of 750,000 people. So... Again, not a healthy response, but I see especially where people whose children fought on the Confederate side wouldn't have sympathy for Mary Todd Lincoln and would maybe think that she deserved it. She didn't. No. Spoiler. Um, I don't think any mother deserves to lose their child. Um, And I don't think any child deserves to die to deal any sort of punishment to the mother. Yeah. Super controversial. Woohoo! So the first lady began hosting regular seances again in the Red Room. Okay. As she believed that Jane Pierce's seances had primed the room. Okay. For spiritual activity. Okay. And she claimed that the seances not only let her contact and communicate with her dead children, 
but also help them manifest as semi-corporeal spirits in the White House. That's actually horrifying. And I didn't go too into it here, but various uh, White House residents mm-hmm. since have claimed to see yes. various Lincoln family members right. I had heard in the White before. House. Um, so with the quote-unquote success of these seances, Mary Todd Lincoln's belief in the supernatural increased. Mm-hmm. Um, and it increased to the point that she started consulting self-professed clairvoyance about political matters as well, because she was actually a very politically minded, politically savvy woman. Good for her. Which, I mean, makes sense. You, I'm sorry, but you don't end up in a position where you're married to a president of the United States and not... Pick up a little bit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. You're going to pick up. Something. Something. Yeah. Um, but maybe don't go to psychics for your political strategy. It's, I mean, it's it's a strategy. Yeah. And one such clairvoyant uh, told her that she was correct about her suspicions that mm-hmm. Treasury Secretary Salmon Chase was being disloyal to her husband. I'm sorry, was that man's name Salmon? Salmon. Like S-A-L-M-O-N? Yep. Cool. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Bringing it back. I'm good. He ran for president at least once, maybe multiple times. He never won. Don't know if you knew that. I mean, given how well I remember our presidents, (laughs) you could have won multiple times and like, yeah, (laughs) good on you, mate. Um, But best I can tell from a quick bit of research, while Sam and Chase threatened to resign any time he and Lincoln disagreed, (laughs) he didn't actually have any nefarious goals. Like he wanted to increase his own political influence in the country but he wasn't going behind the president's back he was actually a more staunch abolitionist than lincoln was at the start of his term interesting okay cool so in the aftermath of the civil war in which as we discussed earlier at least seven hundred and fifty thousand people died americans followed in jane pierce and mary todd lincoln's footsteps Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there had been numerous articles about the seances while the Lincolns were in the White House mm-hmm. um, because it is absolutely titillating news. Oh, for sure. And seances started to become the preferred coping methods for families who had lost someone in the war. Understandable. And as we discussed in the Creepy Games episode, this need to communicate with deceased loved ones eventually led to the creation and popularity of the Ouija board. Yes. Um, everything is connected. Yeah. So just after the Civil War mm-hmm. and the story that actually sparked this episode topic. Okay. But I needed to, yeah, we needed to some lay some, some groundwork. We have retired Union Colonel Henry Steele Olcott. Okay. Who changed the way the dead were buried or not in this country forever. Cool. See, uh, Colonel Olcott saw some shit on the battlefield during the war. Uh, yeah. Uh, specifically, he was convinced he saw evidence of vampires rising up from the ground in the days after major battles. Couldn't possibly be that people went out to gather their dead to give them a good burial. No, no, no. It's definitely vampires. Definitely vampires. I need a CW series about this. <laughs> specifically CW. It would have to be. Specifically. And he started... Doing some deep research into what he and many Victorian era um, 
citizens considered esoteric and unchristian practices. Okay. And the practice he was most interested in in order to protect the Union from the vampire menace. Mm-hmm. That was clearly an issue. <laughs> That's a sentence. <laughs> he, I'm sorry. Sorry. He decided that the United States needed to embrace cremation. Okay. As a burial method. So while cremation possessed ancient roots, mm-hmm. it really wasn't well known yeah. amongst Western Victorian era people, especially Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the concept of cremation seemed otherworldly. Yeah. Um, well, you've got the belief that, you know, you need a physical body for the resurrection. So you can't really exactly. destroy remains. Um, and well, not only that, funeral pyres were associated with ancient civilizations for sure modern scientific people buried their dead and that was that hell yeah olcott saw cremation as commonsensical social reform Mm -hmm. it was more sanitary than burial it was a deterrent to disease it would free up land and labor yeah and the deterrence to vampirism okay that's really the important bit though his big push was to get rid of vampires okay because you can't come back from the dead if you don't have a body to do so. <laughs> I love this man and That's... really wish that therapy had been more common because this man clearly had some PTSD that needed to be treated. Good night. Um, and if, quote, if any further reason were needed by thoughtful persons, there are no vampires save in countries where the dead are buried only. <laughs> And, quote, we do not hear of Hindu vampires. <laughs> I definitely found some in my research, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> well, he didn't have Google. Ah, poor bastard. <laughs> so to promote the practice, he organized the nation's first public cremation service. What? Or, as the press called it, the pagan funeral at New York's Masonic Hall on the west side of Manhattan. Okay. So controversial was this practice that the proceedings on May 28th, 1876, caused a near riot. Okay. And people were taking to the streets claiming that the colonel was spreading heathen rights in the city. Okay. But he would not be deterred. Absolutely not. No. Good for him. Uh, Since leaving the military, he had become an investigator of ghostly phenomenon. Um, Oh, so he's like a precursor to us. Yes, and he was actually, as one might expect for someone fighting on the Union side, a big advocate for equal rights. Um, He was one of the first people in the United States to ask for equal rights for Hindus and Buddhists. Good for him. All right. Um, We fuck with that. And actually was very outspoken against the British occupation silencing religious leaders in India. Interesting. Okay. And to a lesser extent to Sri Lanka. Okay. So, no, he was a good guy who just happened to really, really, really want to make sure vampires didn't spread through the United States. Listen, you know what? I'm glad that he made sure that we don't have vampires. Yeah. He did his job. So, 
In the spring of 1876, he found a subject on which to demonstrate the benefits of cremation. Oh, I don't like this. Where is this going? A recently deceased member of the the Theosophical Society, which was a society that he co-founded with Russian noblewoman H.P. Blavatsky to seek out and promote occult and esoteric teachings. Okay. this this man was a penil- penniless Bavarian nobleman okay. named Joseph Henry Louise Charles Baron de Palm. That's a name. Yeah. And he had willed his body to be cremated. Okay. Olcott and his fellow theosophists rented out the Masonic Hall and offered tickets for nearly 2,000 New Yorkers to oh, witness America's first Jesus. public cremation ceremony. God, capitalism is alive and well. So, as you might expect, although the Masonic headquarters featured an impressive auditorium, it had no crematorium. No? Nor did any such facility exist in the entirety of New York City. Uh, yeah. So, Olcott's plan was to hold the service and then deliver the body to the newly formed New York Cremation Society, who had agreed to handle the incineration. Okay. It didn't go as planned. Mm. The day of the service... A crush of onlookers assembled early at the gates of the Masonic Hall. Okay. Um, drawn by reports that this was going to be a genuine pagan funeral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be there too. What up? So inside the hall, the service was a combination of occult pageant and public exposition. Okay. Uh, Olcott, playing the role of high priest, bestrode a stage that displayed the baron's body in a rosewood casket, at the head of which stood a cross with a serpent wrapped around it, spelling out T.S., the initials of the Theosophical Society. Okay. (laughs) Seven men draped in long black robes and holding palms surrounded the coffin, while the atmosphere in the halls was filled with Orphic hymns. Okay. The smell of burning incense. Great. The flickering of colored candles. And the chanting of mystical incantations. I would have had a full-blown panic attack (laughs) and an allergic reaction to all of that. Olcott attempted to deliver a discourse on reincarnation and the cosmic origins of creation. Okay. um, But the elegy was interrupted by shouts from the audience member about heathenism and heresy. I mean... Um, An elderly man rushed the stage... (gasps) In anger. Oh, no. And was carted away by police. Oh! Um, the- that protester was the father of the hall's organist. Great. Whose daughter subsequently left the Masonic home payroll. Oh, ho. Um... Disdainful of stoking controversy, the cremation society that had promised to burn the Baron's body backed out. So Olcott was left for months with the cost and forensic difficulties of storing a decaying corpse. Oh, God. Oh, no. Which he handled by having the corpse encased in dried clay. Oh, that makes me want to vomit. It apparently minimized the decomp. Okay. So brooding on the problem for months. (laughs) Oh, no. Olcott was finally told about a crematorium being constructed in western Pennsylvania. Okay. So he personally delivered the Baron's body there on December 5th. (laughs) Remember, we started in March. December 5th, 1876. Oh, no. 
the following morning, the incineration was performed before Olcott, Madame Blavatsky, and okay. several other theo- theosophists. Yeah, I can talk. There was a contingent of journalists, different public health officials. Yeah. Um, echoing the scene from New York, a crowd, this time uninvited, gathered outside the crematorium, heckling and hollering. Okay. At 11.12 a.m., the body was proclaimed fully incinerated, more than six months away from the original ceremony. Jesus. I I can only hope that my funeral causes as much chaos. <laughs> I know, right? That's amazing. Um, and perhaps because of the controversies, mm-hmm. the cremation affair actually proved a victory for Olcott. Okay. It absolutely met his goal of publicizing it cremation certainly did and in time um many americans came to agree okay and today cremations account for about 40 percent of all american yeah i used to live near a cremation society nice um it was next to a sushi place and so yeah that is how vampires caused the popularity of cremation in the united states that is amazing amanda i'm so glad you brought this to my attention it is everything. Oh, my God. All right. So that is my segment, but everyone needed to know that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I um, I was a little bit grumbly when you said I want to do wartime occult practices, knowing full well that as the instigator of international stories, um, I was going to find a lot of stuff about Hitler. Because yeah. the Nazis were pretty well known to be deeply entrenched into the occult and astrology and things of that nature. And I just don't want to fucking talk about Hitler because he's a bad dude. It's awful. Insert gif of Roy from Doctor Who. Shut up, Hitler. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, I did my my cursory Googling and lo and behold, there's a lot of fucking shit about damn Nazis. I'm like, I hate this. I hate this. I did find one article that uh, had the most amazing title I have ever seen. Oh, uh, yeah. Let me let me scroll up a little bit. Uh, the werewolves, the Nazi werewolves who terrorized Allied soldiers at the end of World War II. Oh, this is from the Smithsonian Magazine, which is why I gave credence to it at all. Okay. Uh, this is not even really part of the story that I was going to tell, but I knew the minute I mentioned this to Amanda, I'd have to at least expound upon it a little bit. Uh, duh. So it is not we, we don't we don't get werewolf fanfiction, unfortunately, in our World War II. Um there were groups of guerrilla fighters in Germany who called themselves werewolves. Okay. Based on um radio transmissions from from Nazi generals and the like, uh during the Allied occupation of Germany at the end of the world. And their whole goal was to just make the Allied forces as miserable as possible, hoping to drive them out of their country. Gotcha. Um, and the the werewolf mythology was taken more from the idea that uh, werewolves are, are noble creatures who are driven to savagery, who are are taking care of, of the fatherland. Sure, buddy. Yeah, so... So there's that. And I was like, that's, that's an article that I need to click on. Yeah. And it did not disappoint. It, it really, it's not as occult as I wanted it to be, but it did not disappoint. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, like you, Amanda, we do need to go back a little bit. I'm largely going to be talking about World War II. But one of the main reasons that so many people in power in the Nazi regime were so into the supernatural and so into the occult is a direct result of World War I. Okay. Um, you know, you see devastation at an unimaginable magnitude in World War One. You know, the average height of people in Europe changed because of the deaths in World War One. Because the short people are more likely to not get shot in the head. Um. <laughs> Never thought about it like that. Yeah. Uh, literally the average height of men in Europe decreased after Holy World War One. Holy shit. It's wild. Um, so anyway, due to this mass devastation, people are horrifically traumatized. Families have been ripped apart. You again see that rise in spiritualism. Um, not only in the occult, but also people going back more strongly to their faiths, whatever they were raised with. Um, mm -hmm. There's a story that I saw referenced of uh, the Angel of Mons from early in World War I. Um, so the story goes, and depending on who you hear it from, there's some slight changes. Uh, during the Battle of Mons, the British and French forces needed to retreat because they were going to be overrun. And they were able to safely do so because hosts of angels led by St. George descended and held off the German forces. Unless you're hearing it from the French, in which case it's St. Joan of Arc. Okay. Um, this story, widely disseminated, lots of people are like, yep, no, angels definitely did this. However, that particular story actually comes from a short story written by a novelist in England who heard about the Battle of Mons, wrote a short story about divine intervention in this battle, sent it off for publication, and never thought about it again until the story took on a life of its own. And he was just like, I fucked up. <laughs> I have fucked up. Uh, you know, I am not going to blame fiction authors for yeah. but that. To note, during the Battle of Mons, when the British and French forces were in retreat, apparently a very thick fog rose up that helped cover their retreat. So some people are kind of like, well, maybe there was some sort of divine intervention there. Creepy. Uh-huh. So anyway, you do get that rise in spiritualism. You start seeing more seances again because people are trying to connect with their loved ones. Again, we sort yeah. of discussed this in so, yeah. the episode about Ouija. So um, that is one of the reasons why the Nazis were so wildly superstitious. Um, just one of many reasons. Mm -hmm. So I learned about how members of British intelligence used these occult beliefs against the Nazis. This is so cool. I love this. So this is largely the brainchild of a man called Cecil Williamson, who was an old occultist in the UK. He was friends with Alistair Crowley. He founded one of the first museums of witchcraft. Not so, a super big fan of his, uh, no. his friendships there, but... There's a reason Alistair Crowley didn't get to be involved with uh, the operations that that went forward. There are a lot of reasons why he couldn't be involved. Mm -hmm. So yes, uh, Mr. Williamson, knowing full well that the uh, high-level Nazis were very, very superstitious, mm -hmm. um, he decides he's going to fuck with them. Like, hardcore. Um, so together with members of British intelligence, Williamson came up with something that I have seen referred to as Project Mistletoe. 
And um, this included things like uh, putting together a coven of, of people <laughs> to perform rituals that would keep the Nazis out of England. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Here's the thing. No one had to believe any any of this. All they had to do is make the Nazis believe that they believed they were invoking supernatural powers to protect them. Okay. Love this. That was that was kind of the key part. And there was a rumor that the ritual being invoked was based on one that had been performed during the Napoleonic Wars. We'll get back to that. Exciting. It's a, it's a secret story for later. <laughs> um <laughs> So basically what they would do is they would perform these fake ceremonies and, you know, report about them and fill the radios with stories about the supernatural protection, intending for it to go to the Nazis. Amazing. Um, So they also took advantage of the fact that several members of of the Nazi higher-ups were really super fucking into astrology. Um, there is a possibly apocryphal story that Cecil Williamson was instrumental in luring Rudolf Hess to the UK. Rudolf Hess was, like, practically second in command at one point. Right. And um, according to one of the sources that I saw, this actual plan that they swear happened, but, you know, we can't fucking prove, was designed by Ian Fleming. I'm not sure. If if you don't recognize the name Ian Fleming, you will, in fact, recognize one of his most famous creations. Yes. James Bond. Um, So he worked with Cecil Williamson, and they started writing astrology reports indicating that, you know, someone with Rudolf Hess's astrological signs would do well to visit England. They convinced him that he should travel to the UK, where he would be met you know, high-level generals who would take him to a private meeting with King George. Huh. And, uh, spoiler alert, he did not actually get to speak to the king. No! He got arrested by the home guard. <laughs> Which, um, not... That's the, that's mostly civilians. Yeah. So, um, <sighs> Rudolph Hess might have honestly just decided to defect. There's, there's no really good strong proof that this is a thing that happened but i want to believe i want to believe that it was just he was thinking about it Mm -hmm. and then he heard about this report and was like fine fine i get it i work for the bad guys i'll go turn myself in yeah i just i want i want to believe that he thought that the stars were telling him what to do and he got fucked over So, yeah, as I started digging in a little bit more, I was like, oh, I wonder about that Napoleonic ritual. That'd be a cool thing to to bring in. Yeah. So I started Googling about it, and I stumbled across an article on Mental Floss, which, God, I love that site. Oh, yeah. So great. And um, the only source that I can find about this supposed Napoleonic ritual was written by Gerald Gardner, the founder of modern-day Wicca, which, no offense to practicing Wiccans, I think... It's a beautiful religion. However, I have some beef with Gerald Gardner. I have a lot of beef with Gerald Gardner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh my gosh, can we have an episode one day where we just drag 
Anton LaVey and Aleister Crowley and Gerald Gardner <laughs> through the mud. Yeah, it would be delightful. Okay. Um. So, yeah, I don't have a lot of faith in this report. Mm-hmm. Specifically because Gerald Gardner, no matter what, is gonna have some stake here. Like, he's he's got an angle. Oh, yeah. Um, he actually claimed that he was part of Operation Mistletoe. And he and some practicing witches helped to lead this fake ceremony. Sure, buddy. So his writing and the writing of Ian Fleming are really the only evidence we have that any of this took place. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. Um, it's just very hard to confirm. But I personally am so enamored with the idea that that Britain was like, how can we fuck with these people? How can we really royally mess with them in a way that doesn't involve bombs? I honestly wouldn't be surprised. I, you know, I think there's a lot of spycraft that we're never going to have 100% confirmed. For sure. From World War II, whether it's because of records being lost or the people who knew about it dying before telling anyone. Um, or just because it would throw you in, you, sorry, would throw the country into a bad light. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're getting the reports now and I didn't cover it because I wanted to keep things a little shorter and also because we just had to have enough time for vampire cremation. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't go into as much the CIA's experiments with extrasensory perception mm, yeah. in response to a woman going on Russian television claiming to have ESP and no one being able to definitively prove that wrong. Yeah. So, no, I I absolutely believe that, gosh, you think about the devastation in World War II so soon after the devastation in World War One. Yeah. It's, it's at, at that point, you're so desperate, you'll do anything. Mm-hmm. You'll do anything that might help this war end. It's just, I, when I saw that, I knew that this was my angle to talk about the occult practices of World War II. Amazing. It made me beyond happy, and I really hope that I can find some more resources to, uh, to peruse, because they made me very happy. Oh, yeah. No, and you'll have to share them with me when you do. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that is it for this week's episode. I hope you guys had as much fun listening as we did researching it. We had a lot of fun. We had so much fun. Um, So yeah, uh, sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, everyone. Good night. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire. Copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at Graveyard Coffee Talk Pod or on Twitter at Talk Graveyard. Never grew up and she never